0: Our scripture lesson today uh, begins at Palm Sunday and ends at the resurrection. We will not read all of it. That would be super long. But we'll just start and then we'll go to the other. So let's share in God's good word together. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. A lot can happen in eight days. The stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away to let the women in so that they could see and know what God was already up to. God was already very much alive and at work. He had conquered death and was making all things new. That's what Easter's all about. My name is Mark Foster. I'm founding senior pastor here. We're so glad to welcome you to Easter this year. It's, it's wonderful to have everybody with us. And so if you're a member of our church, it's so good to see you again. Uh, but I know that there are some of you here that were drugged here by grandma. You just had to come. Uh, or a spouse or a friend or uh, whatever it may be. And I want to say welcome to you as well. And for those of you um, who are new to us, uh, I know what you're thinking. How long is this going to be? And perhaps why should I listen? What does this have anything to do with me? This is, this is not my story. It's not my deal. Well, here's the thing, friends. If you receive the gift that I'm about to offer you today, you will be able to do things that you have never been able to do before. In your entire life. And the people around you will be better off because of the power and the grace and the love and the mercy that comes out of you into the world. And actually, the entire world will be changed for the better, for good, forever. That's what Easter's all about. Paul begins to explain this to the early church in court. Uh, he writes this in, in what we now know as the letter of 2 Corinthians. He says, This one man, Jesus, died for who? Now, you'll notice that doesn't say church people. It doesn't say the Jewish people that were following him. It doesn't doesn't say anything other than, what's the word? Which means even if you don't believe in him, he believes in you. And he's here for you. That's what Easter is all about. That puts everyone in the same boat, everyone. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. A resurrection life. A far better life than people ever lived on their own. Now, friends, for thousands of years, tens of millions of people have claimed that Jesus' tomb was empty. And not only that, that Jesus appeared to more than anybody know? 500 people at the same time in in one setting. And everybody could attest to this. And it was over a period of 40 days that Jesus lived and moved. And he wasn't a ghost. He would eat fish and he could uh, show up in Jerusalem in one moment and be in Emmaus in the next. He was a resurrected human. He wasn't an apparition. He wasn't a ghost. Again, to the early church, Paul would write, Christ died for our sins, for our separation from God, in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures and the prophecies. And that he appeared to Cephas, which is um, St. Peter. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at what time? Paul writes, most of whom are still alive. These are eyewitnesses, by the way. It's not just hearsay. Though some have died, then he appeared to James, which is Jesus' little brother, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Who's me? Paul. Did Paul believe in Jesus? No. He was the opposite of that. He persecuted Jesus. He killed Christians. He was at the stoning of Stephen, and he did everything he could to snuff out Jesus, and Jesus comes to him anyway. And if Jesus didn't come to Paul, Jesus didn't come to you. He's ready to help you to turn your life around for you, so you can do things that you've never been able to do before, like forgive people, like reconcile relationships, like to move in grace. One of my um, mentors and uh, people that I just love to listen to and to preach uh, is John Ortberg, and as I was preparing for today, um, I was I was listening to him, and this isn't a direct quote at all, but so I so it's not going to be perfect. But this is roughly what he was saying, and this is why Easter is so important, friends. It's easy to look at the world as a script of bad guys, the victims, and then people like me, like you and me, you know, innocent spectators. It goes like this. You know, there's Putin, the bad guy, the Ukrainians, you know, the victims, and then us. Doesn't really have anything to do with us. You know, we just, we pray for them, and it's kind of over there. But that's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that we live in a spiritual and moral ecosystem where what you do matters. It matters. It always matters. Every day it matters what you do. And this system is saturated with evil, and that same evil that surrounds me is also inside of me waiting to come out. And you know this is how it works. At a moment of offense or attack, insecurity, or embarrassment. Worse yet, I cannot make it go away. That evil that put Jesus on the cross is inside of me the anger, the apathy, and the blind eye. It is all inside of me, and in some way, my guess is it's also inside of you. And you don't really know what to do about it. I hear people say, well, that's just how I am. That's not what Easter's about. Easter's about a new you. Friends, we cannot detach Easter from why it is necessary Why, without it, we are hopelessly lost. Without Easter, we are still on the cross, unable to get ourselves down. Humanity does not have that power in and of ourselves. So we come to these eight days that change the world. And they can change your world now, if you'll let it. On day one, um, last Sunday, and part of the reason we do this is because for so many Christians, we simply go from celebration at Palm Sunday to celebrate at Easter, which makes no sense. Right There's a whole story in between. And so day one, Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives and he looks at the temple. Uh, I took this photo a number of years ago when we were in Israel. And this is simply the Dome of the Rock. It's a Muslim holy site. The temple actually would pre- pretty much fill the whole screen from side to side. There you see the wall underneath it. And so the Mount of Olives is this place that separates Jerusalem. There's a valley there at the Garden of Gethsemane and then, and then a desert. This is really sort of the last stop before you're out in the desert. And our guide, uh, Yoav, he would take a map and he would show you how, what the temple would look like. And you see that red strip there uh, at the bottom. This is where the money changes were. And the Antonia Fortress, where the Romans, they would watch over all of it. It was a corrupt system. And Jesus knew it. Most people knew it, but they just looked the other way. There was money to be made there. So that was Sunday. On Monday, Jesus goes to the temple then and he clears it. Because it wasn't what it was supposed to do. He was making the temple right as well. So the scripture says, according to John, that the Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. He goes there, and in the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a whip of cords, and he drove them all out of the temple, both sheep and cattle. And he also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. And the Jews then said to Jesus, hold on a minute, if you're going to do this, right, if you're going to ruin our livelihood, if you're going to mess this all up, what sign can you show us for doing this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple in three days and I will raise it up. And they're, they're like, Jesus, this took 46 years to build. It's still being built. And he, but he knew that he was talking about his body. The, the temple he meant was his body. And nobody understood that until after the resurrection. So that was Monday. On Tuesday, Jesus goes back to the Mount of Olives and he begins to teach his disciples according to the Gospel of Mark. And when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, he can look out and see it. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, they asked him privately, tell us, when will this be and what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? The end of time when the Messiah comes. Because they recognized Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah. Then Jesus began to say to them, beware that no one leads you astray. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, not even Jesus knows, but only the Father, he said. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. And that's the message for us this Easter. Stay awake, because you don't know when Jesus is coming to you or when you're going to him. No one knows that but the Father. So this Mount of Olives, again, it is a place of prayer, and it overlooks the Garden of Gethsemane and the temple. And so it's this this holy place of prayer. Now, down in the Garden of Gethsemane, it is an olive garden. Not the olive garden where you might go to lunch, but an olive garden, like a grove, right? And so these olive trees, some scholars believe, were there at the time of Jesus. They're that old. And you can go there and you can actually be in the place where Jesus wept and prayed and asked God, you know, let this cup pass from me but not my will, but yours. And so Jesus actually does the will of the Father. He chooses the cross for you and me. And from that garden, he can look up and he can see the temple. You can see just a very little bit of the Dome of the Rock. But the temple would be all the way across there. Jesus could look up and know that was his destiny. That's what he was going to do to change the world this Easter. And so you can see it's a dramatic change in elevation from the garden up to the temple. And so we come to Wednesday. Wednesday. And Wednesday is the day that Christians, uh, from the time of Jesus, they fast on Wednesdays and Fridays uh, because Wednesday is the day that Judas betrayed Jesus. He made the deal with those who wanted to kill him. According to Luke, it says this, Now the festival of unleavened bread, the Passover, was near, and the chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put Jesus to death for lots of reasons, uh, not the least of which was he was messing with their money at the temple. For they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was one of the twelve. And he went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers of the temple police about how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were greatly pleased and agreed to give him money. So he consented and began to look for an opportunity to betray him to them when no crowd was present. And that's still the way it is today. Most people don't struggle too much in a crowd. They just go with the crowd. But the sin that lurks so closely, it comes... When no one is looking. And so they waited for that time. And it was about to come the next day. So you come to Thursday, what we call Maundy Thursday, a mandatum when Jesus washes feet. I mean, we think, well, if you knew that you had 24 hours to live, what would you do? My guess is washing feet is not, not on the list. But that's exactly what Jesus did because he knew. That he was to model what servanthood looked like, what power looked like, what it meant to bless others. And he shares the Passover meal. And each week, when we remember this meal together, um, we basically read from Matthew. Where it says, while they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread and after blessing it, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Now now friends, this is the first time since Moses and, and God took the people through the Red Sea that they heard... This is my body. They'd never heard that before. It was supposed to be uh, the lamb and and the bread and the Passover meal. No, Jesus says, this is my body. They didn't understand that. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Again, it wasn't supposed to be Jesus' blood. It was supposed to be the blood of the lamb that was on the doorpost so that the spirit of death would pass over them, which is where it gets its name from. The disciples were confused. Because they had done it one way for 1,300 years. And on this night, Jesus was making all things new. That's what this Easter is about. All things new. So Jesus goes to the garden and he prays. And it is there that Judas brings the others to arrest him. And to capture him. And to lead him to the cross. And it's there that he heals a slave called Malchus. According to Luke, it says this, While Jesus was still speaking, suddenly a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, is it with a kiss that you are betraying the Son of Man? He was just with them a few hours earlier at the meal, sitting right next to him. And when those who were around him saw what was coming, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them, Peter, struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And I think there's no other place in the Bible you get a clearer picture of who Jesus is and what he's about. They're coming to arrest him, to beat him, to kill him. And he knows all of this. That's not news to him. And Peter, always off off page Peter, he cuts the guy's ear off, one of the slaves. And Jesus looks at him like, dude, what are you doing? So he gets the ear and he puts it back on him. He heals him. The very people who are going to kill him, he is blessing them and healing them and helping them. That's who our Savior is. And that power is available to you. And so through the night, he's, he's placed in a pit and then he's scourged and beaten within really an inch of his life. They knew that 40 lashes would kill a man so, or th- so they would back it up. 41 would kill a man so they moved it back to 40 or 39. 40 lashes minus 1. And so Jesus, he's denied by Peter, he's tried falsely, he's crucified, and he's buried. And here's the interesting thing. All the Gospels, all of them, they tell us that Jesus died on a cross. And that is important, friends. Because you think of this, it's not that some people said he died and some people said he didn't. It's not that some people said he died this way, or no, no, he kind of died that way. No. Everybody knew how Jesus died. It was a public event, Rome would line the roads with crosses as a warning to say, if you cross us, this is what happens to you. But make no mistake, friends, Jesus is not the victim. Jesus is the victor. Will you say that with me? Jesus is the victor. He chose it. It wasn't nails that held Jesus on the cross. It was love. He chose that for you. He knew what he was doing all along. He came to put death to death. That's what he was doing. It was love that held him there. Not nails. He did this by his own accord, by his own will. One of my favorite preachers is Andy Stanley. He says it this way. He says, Jesus died the way he lived with his arms open wide. Just the same way he lived. And the cross took his breath away. And his death took our sin away. And his resurrection took our excuses away. Because that Jesus is raised so Are you? That power is available to you for the very transformation of the world, for your life and for those around you. So Jesus dies at 3 o'clock on Friday, Friday afternoon, just before sunset. And this is problematic because you're not allowed to do anything on the Sabbath, according to that tradition. And so you come to Saturday. And Saturday, Saturday is the day that you know you have things to do, but you can't do them. It just doesn't work out. All hope is gone. There's not a single person on the planet that believes Jesus is alive on Saturday not one. And they wait. And maybe you've been in that spot where you know you're supposed to do something, but you simply can't do it yet. You have to wait. And that's what Saturday is. But here's the great thing about Saturday. This is my favorite quote of all Easter. I try to use it every year. Here's a great thing about the tomb. Barbara Brown Taylor says, new life starts in the dark. Whether it is a seed in the ground, a baby in the womb, or Jesus in the tomb, it starts in the dark. And that's good news. Matter of fact, it always starts in the dark. You can't have new life without it. You can't have a resurrection without death. You can't have a crown without a cross. And that brings us to the eighth day, the day that we now live in. N.T. Wright, who's a great biblical scholar, he puts it like this. He says, the resurrection, it isn't just a surprise, happy ending for one person. It is instead the turning point for everything else, everything else. See, Resurrection Day is the day when God renews all things, all things. That's what Easter is about. He says, but we, N.T. Wright does, he says, we should remind ourselves that the earliest Christians lived in a world where Sunday was the first day of the work week much like our Monday, and that they valued its symbolism so highly that they were prepared to get up extra early, both to celebrate Easter once again and to anticipate the final eighth day of creation, the start of the new week and the day when God would renew all things. So imagine, you get up on Monday, you get up super early so you can come and celebrate and be filled with the power of God so you can go out and live in the world. That's what our Sunday is supposed to be about. So in the early church, over over and over again, at every opportunity, they would make things in an octagon. Not to say stop, but to say go. To go in the power of Christ, to go and be renewed. And so I had the great opportunity to go to, uh, really, Ephesus, uh, where we get the book of Ephesians from. And there's a cathedral there um, from St. John. We had a worker there uh, during the Syrian refugee crisis, and I was able to go visit that family. And here's Michael. He's actually in the baptistry at St. John's, and you'll notice that it's eight-sided because you would come down the, the stairs you would be baptized, made new, and come up out the other stairs. And it was in that place that all things are being made new. At your baptism, you're made new. And, and it's a holy and sacred and beautiful place. And so over and over again, even the churches themselves would be eight-sided. The baptistry would be eight-sided. If you go to a high church now and you, you see a baptismal font, it will be in an octagon. It will be eight-sided because that's the place we're made new. Easter is about being made new. All things. Every act of love. Every act of gratitude, kindness, every work of art, music inspired by the love of God, delight in the beauty of His creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk. Every act of care and nurture of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings, and for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures, all things made new. And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces, embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of it. All of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. That's what Easter's about. That's that's what the scholars say. And you may say, well, I don't care what the scholars say. Okay, so let me tell you what Easter means to me. And you may say, well, I don't really care about that either. I'm going to tell you anyway. So here it is. Easter means that not even a a blood-stained murder scene is beyond the power of God to turn evil to good. Now, I'm super fortunate at this point in my life. I have never been a part of a violent crime. I've I've never been associated with one. I've never been in the middle of it, but I know some of you have. And and it'll shake you. It'll shake your faith. It'll shake your life. But the cross was the very worst thing the world knew up to that point. And God turned it to the center of our worship. And not just our worship, but the worship of every Christian all around the world. It's front and center. Because God took the worst and made it the best thing that could possibly happen for us. For the very transformation of all the world. Easter means that the worst thing is never the last thing. And so if you're going through a really hard time, if you're going through a dark time, if you're going through what you think is the worst time, hold on. Because it's not the last thing. The worst thing is never the last thing. What Easter means, the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it means the death of death itself. We say this all the time friends. You are an unceasing spiritual being. You are never going to die. And there's nothing you can do about it. The main question is what sort of person will you be that lives forever? Will you live in the joy of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection? Because here's the great news. Jesus put death to death. That's what Easter's about. That's what this week's about. Jesus put death to death. It is no more. It's no more. Death to death. Easter means that when Jesus said it is finished, what he's really saying is it's just begun. It has begun. The renewal of all things has begun at Easter morning, and it continues today. Easter means that God's love and power are available to you today. If. And this is the hard part. Because there are a lot of folks out there that are upset with God because he's not doing what you tell him to do. Well, that's messed up. God's not God if, if, if you could tell him what to do. You would be God at that point. So here's the thing. Easter means that God's love and power are available to you today if you choose to die. You have to choose to die to every part of your life. The last page of Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes it like this. He says, the very first step is to try to forget about the self altogether. Your real new self, which is Christ and also yours, will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him, Jesus. Does that sound strange? He says even in social life, you will never make a good impression on other people until you stop thinking about what sort of impression you're making. Young people, pay attention. If you're trying to be cool, you're not cool. Right? I mean, you know this. Anybody that's trying to be cool is not cool. It's not cool. And that's what C.S. Lewis is saying. He says, even in social life, you will never make a good impression on other people until you stop thinking about what sort of impression you're making about yourself. The principle runs through all of life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real life, your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death. Death of your ambitions and your favorite wishes every day, daily. Pick up your cross daily. That's what this means. And death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing. This is super important, friends. Because nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised. If you have not let it die, Christ can't raise it. God will honor your will. And so there are places in your life Where you're still frustrated. And the realization is that that's because you haven't really let it die. You still want to be in control of that part of your life. So what this means, nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. You will. And with him everything else thrown in. That's what Matthew 6 says. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. You don't have to worry about them but you have to put to death everything else and this next piece if you'll receive it it will absolutely change your life it's worth the price of admission this morning and that's this friends if you choose to be truly humble you can no longer be offended the only reason that you're offended is because of your ego because of your own pride. If you really understand, if you really accept that everything about you is a gift from God, lest any of us should brag or boast, Paul says. When you realize that the cross is what makes you new, when you realize that God is the one that gave you life and birth and breath, when you realize that there's nothing you can do good in your own power without the breath of Jesus within you, then it doesn't matter. You can no longer be offended. You understand this? The last time you were offended, it's only because your ego got crossed. Your pride got wounded. It's not about God. It's not about Jesus. It's not about righteousness. It's so you haven't died in your own pride yet. Imagine. Show me a place in the scripture where Jesus was offended. Anywhere. When he was naked on a cross and they were killing him, was he offended? No, he says, Father, forgive them because he knew who he was and he knew who they were. And so he loved them. He didn't curse them. Because he had no ego or pride in that. Simply the will of the Father. And you can have that power too. But it requires that you die to your pride and your ego. Easter means that the rich and the powerful and the schemers, they don't have the last word after all. No, actually you have the power of Christ in you. And it doesn't matter your title or position or where you live or how you grew up. It's available to every person on the planet. Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr writes it like this. He says, we are now able to love things... For themselves and in themselves, and not for what they do for us. We're not the central reference point anymore. We love in greater and greater circles until we can finally do what Jesus did love and forgive even our enemies. Now, that's real power. That's a different way to live. When you no longer get pushed around by the opinions of others, when you live for an audience of one. Easter means that the transformation of the world is possible, and it's already begun. That's the good news. That's why we gather. Again, N.T. Wright says Jesus will be personally present, the dead will be raised, and the living Christians will be transformed. So when it comes to Easter, I don't just believe it, I'm counting on it. And you can count on it too. That's how we live, that's how we move, that's how we have our being. We're counting on it. You see, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project. Not to snatch people away from earth to heaven but to colonize earth with the life of heaven for the very transformation of the world. A few uh, months ago now, Chantel and I were in a continuing education event at a monastery. And one of the great things about monasteries is they're full of religious art, which is something, if you're Protestant, you don't see much of. So we came across this painting, Chantel did. Uh, It's called Love at All Times. And it's so beautiful. As the love of Christ on the cross is enveloped, in this mother's arms surrounding this child, at all hours, at all times, in all places, ready to comfort you and feed you and nurture you and care for you and burp you? Because we all get a little gassy from time to time in our pride. Just got to, like, it's going to be okay. Right? So we have to ask ourselves, "Am, am I going to die to my own project? Am I going to die to my own agenda? And trust that God has an Easter for me, that there really is an Easter for me, I'm going to let God wrap me up in his love and his care. And so your action step today is is simply this. Do it. Die to your own project or your agenda so that that you can show up as Easter to someone else. You see, we are Easter people. That's what we claim, that we're Easter people. We're people of the resurrection. We move in the power of the resurrection. So you can be the person who brings hope. You can be the person that brings life. You can be the person that brings the resurrection power to the world. That's our job. As the body of Christ in the world today. So we ask questions like, How can God use me to be Easter to someone else? To raise up those who have been beaten or tossed aside as Jesus was? To come alongside those who have been falsely accused and even arrested and imprisoned as Jesus was? We get to move in this sort of love and comfort and joy and peace at all hours, in every situation, in all places. And we get to ask ourselves again, will I show up at the cross? At the foot of the cross? At the deepest moments of the world's pain, not just my own. And trust that God will turn it. Raise it. Use it. Will you and I offer the suffering love of Easter? So that the world may know. So that another will know the love of Christ. Or we simply look away as an innocent bystander the choice is yours today will you be easter will you live in easter now if so i ask that you would pray this prayer with me lord help us see you let us live as easter people you are risen you are risen indeed and all of god's people say amen Amen. and now with the confidence of the children of god let's share in the lord's prayer together our father